Welcome to this special edition episode of the Clean Sport Collective podcast. This is your host, Chris McClung. I'm joined by special guest Ross Tucker from Science of Sport. How are you doing today, Ross? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. It's uh, it's wonderful to talk to you. It's 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 always good to be on one of your favorite podcasts. And so thanks for having me on. <laughs> well, thank you. We've also got joining join, joined with me here in Boulder. We've got Kara Goucher and Adam Goucher, obviously active members of the Clean Sport Collective initiative, and we're excited to be talking today fresh about the IAAF or as it's now called, the World Athletics release on their regulations regarding footwear. And so we're going to get some some fresh reactions as those uh, those announcements or the, the World Athletics just released their new regulations on footwear this morning. So we're all interpreting this, trying to figure out exactly what it means, but we wanted to get fresh reaction. And we thank you, Ross, for joining us on uh, at the last minute. I wanted to start with just trying to interpret a little bit what the actual release means. So wanted to lay out some of the direct quotes from the release and then kind of get perspective on the implications of those in, in terms of the practical reality of what it means. So I'll start with just a little blurb that's that's coming again directly from their release. And it says, from the 30th of April 2020, any shoe must have been available for purchase by any athlete on the open retail market online or in-store for a period of four months before it can be used in competition. If a shoe is not openly available to all, then it will be deemed a prototype and use of it in competition will not be permitted. Subject to compliance with the rules, any shoe that is available to all but is customized for aesthetic reasons or for medical reasons to suit the characteristics of a particular athlete's foot will be allowed where World Athletics has reason to believe that a type of shoe or specific technology may not be compliant with the rules or the spirit of the rules, it may submit the shoe or technology for study and may prohibit the use of shoe or technology while it is under examination. For further, with immediate effect, there will be an indefinite moratorium on any shoe that does not meet the following requirements. The sole must be no thicker than 40 millimeters. The shoe must not contain more than one rigid embedded plate or blade that runs either the full length or only part of the length of the shoe. The plate may be in more than one part, but those parts must be located sequentially in one plane, not stacked or in parallel, and must not overlap. For a shoe with spikes, an additional plate to the plate mentioned above or other mechanism is permitted, but only for the purposes of attaching the spikes to the sole, and the sole must be no thicker than 30 millimeters. So those are the new regulations. We get some interpretation on prototypes and how those will be treated. And then, of course, a ban on general shoe architecture that includes thickness regulations. Ross, I want to go to you first. What are your reactions to those new regulations? And just from an objective standpoint, what does it mean based on what's available today? So I think no surprise, really. Um whether it was rumor mill, because you'll recall back in, I think, December, media were already beginning to speculate over what they'd do. And there were a few different viewpoints. I think most people anticipated something like this. They've, in a sense, found a compromise of sorts at that 40 millimeter limit, which I think was entirely predictable because really you've got the, the, the Vaporfly 4% comes out, then it's second iteration is the next percent, and then the Alpha Fly. And they've, they've effectively drawn a line between two and three. Now, 
that in a sense is them finding a compromise position. And I've seen the reaction is already or people are saying that's the headline piece. I, I don't think that it is. I think that they could have been a lot stronger in the policy that they went with. I'm not surprised they did what they did because I didn't expect them to create a policy that would undo the damage that the last two years has done with respect to shoes. And then on the prototype side of things, I, I just think it's cowardly because that was the policy before. There was already a thing around you weren't allowed to use shoes that were not reasonably available to all. So sure, they've they've fleshed that out and they've now given it a specific time point of four months at which it applies. But generally, it seems to me they've just reminded themselves of their own previous rule and then said, let's put a pause on this technological innovation for the meantime. But the root cause, the problem that I see having existed in the last one know, two years persists because they've set the bar high enough that the problematic shoes stay in. So the result of that is that anyone wearing Nike uh, is largely unaffected because with the exception of one sub two hour gimmicky run last year, the Alpha Fly really wasn't in play. There was there was a prospect of it affecting your upcoming trials. So I'm glad that that's not going to happen. That's just certainly a good thing. And then anyone not wearing Nike shoes now has effectively had <laughs> sort of had the, the fuse lit under their own sponsorship companies because they now know that they have to match it because it's not going away. So now the race in earnest begins to see whether they can all do the same thing that Nike managed to do. And, in addition to that, the Fuse has a certain deadline and timeline, at least as it relates to the Olympics in Tokyo slash Sapporo, which is that these competing brands need to release their version of the 4% or the next percent by April 30th in order for it to be available for athletes to use in the games. Is is that your interpretation? Yes. And that, yeah, initially there was some confusion around that. So if a company was to release its shoe, let's say today, which is 90 days before that April 30th deadline, then would the shoe be legal for the next three months? There's a sort of grace period. Would it then become illegal and then become legal again after 30? But then someone from the IAAF clarified that. So basically they've now been given 90 days to get their shoes onto the market and into the picture because once it's in, then it's in. So that that creates, I think, some interesting scenarios. And I I'll defer to, I think other people know more about what other companies are doing. The big question now is whether they can bridge that gap. And so we're all watching this saying, can the likes of Brooks and Saucony and Asics and Adidas do something to drag us back to a point where we can watch a race and know that we're seeing humans race one another and not humans aided by shoes against humans not aided by shoes. So Certainly, I guess it creates for some interesting uh, observations and patterns in the next uh, three, four months and then beyond, obviously. But the race, I mean, the fuse is lit now, so the race is on. I want to bring Kara into this discussion. I know you've been busy this morning with the photo shoot, Kara, so I haven't been able to maybe digest it as well as you'd like. But what's your interpretation of the World Athletics announcement? I, I'm still confused because if we're not allowing prototypes, that's actually not a rule change. That's what the rule has been. And I feel like, exactly. why are we not addressing that this has been going on for four years now? And all of a sudden, now we're going to start upholding this rule that's always been a rule. So I'm, I mean, I obviously have I, emotional attachment to this issue that I can't get rid of. I wish that we just weren't even talking about this, that we just said we're not using this technology. But 
I'm happy that there's a, there's a supposed limit now, but I just feel like, how do we know this is going to be regulated? It wasn't regulated for four years. How do we know there's not going to be two plates? Are they going to be checking shoes? I mean, for me, the World Athletics has failed for four years. For four years, they didn't follow their own rule. And now I'm supposed to believe that this new set of rules is going to make everything level again. I just, they didn't, they didn't endorse their one simple rule when they knew what was happening. I mean, they found out in March of 2017 and we're just now in January 31st of 2020, we're finally, they're finally admitting that, yeah, this is a problem. And so I just, I don't know how I feel. I feel frustrated and I feel like we're all just kind of being lied to again. Just a new version of the old old lies. Like this is the same rules that we had before. I mean, now we have the stack height, which I get because that's where the shoes are going. Um, But this is the same rule. And now, now you're going to enforce it. And how are you going to enforce it? And are you going to be looking inside shoes? I mean, I think one thing we've learned is that shoe companies will put out a shoe that is questionable if it follows the rules or not. And no one is checking so how do we know that no one's going to put two plates in in 40 mils or less? I, I don't I don't know, or millimeters. It's just, I, I'm glad that they're finally having to address it, but I don't feel confident in it. The cynic in me also thinks that in some ways, this has just allowed Nike to lock in its advantage at some point. So I want to bring Adam in, who I know is fired up about this topic. What's, what are your thoughts? Because I know you come more from the cynical side, Adam. I, I do come more from the cynical side, and I think Kara is spot on with this. It's, it's, uh, it, there's, there's no accountability on, on, uh, the side of world athletics, right? Like they basically said, it's okay that Nike broke all the rules for the last near four years, and we're not going to do anything about it. But at this point, now we're going to allow, or start implementing and supposedly enforcing our rules that have been in play that entire time. And um, we're going to, all the other companies that compete with Nike now are going to be under this microscope even more so. So Nike is flown under the radar. They've allowed, they've put out product that has changed the sport dramatically and there's no accountability. There's zero accountability, and it's, in my opinion, it's 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 a farce. It's fake. It's it's just about honestly trying to appease the public to a certain extent, but yet not really doing anything about the issue. I think the other thing that you that have kind of both bring up in those those comments is the fact that now there is an enforcement question, which hasn't really been laid out yet by world athletics in terms of how do you actually enforce this in competition? How is an event going to know whether or not a shoe is a prototype or not? Will shoes be reviewed? Will there be rulers applied to the stack heights? What do you think Ross needs to be done to continue to flesh out at least this policy in order to make sure that in reality it's being enforced? Well, I don't know that this policy can be fleshed out to the point of being enforceable. The other the other loophole that they've included is that they're allowing shoes to be modified for medical reasons. Now, 
at some point, a clever engineer combined with a creative coach athlete combination is going to pass a medical modification, sorry, a performance modification off as though it's medical. And then someone will have to make a judgment call over whether this specific unique prototype is a medical alteration or a performance one. And what if it's both? So I think I think there are many issues there and I don't know how you do it. The moment you allow a, a 40 millimeter space, you effectively give license for this kind of loophole shenanigan to go on. And the reason, going back a few months, I was an advocate of this, having spoken to a biomechanist who certainly knows more than I do. The reason a stack height limitation would have been so appealing is because you wouldn't have had to worry about all these other things as long as you set it low enough. So the, the key point here, or the principle, is that the companies want the height because the, the, the midsole is effectively a scaffold for them to do all the other creative things in. And if you take that scaffold away, well, then let them put a carbon fiber plate in there because we know that it doesn't have the same effect when it has to be flat. The curvature of the plate combined with the, the midsole material, that unit is what creates the advantage. So I think they missed an opportunity to, A, effectively change the regulation in a way that would take away the advantage, which I have an issue with, the advantage that is, and B, they could have made their lives so much easier on the implementation side, because I legitimately do not know how you assess the shoes of 20 elite athletes at every big city marathon to make sure that those plates aren't overlapping, that there's not three of them in the shoe, that they haven't done something that's in contravention to the, the regulations. I, it, I just I cannot see it happening. The sport is not geared to deliver this regulation. And as you say, 40 millimeters is a lot of space <laughs> to, to do something. Do you have any perspective on what that limit should be in order to limit some of these shenanigans? No, and there's no, no, and there's no, there's no distinct answer. Like you won't find a decent research, you won't find any research study that shows that the advantage appears beyond X. That's, that's not going to happen, which is always a convenient place for regulators to hide. I guarantee you that if they're ever challenged on this, they will say, we couldn't find evidence of where the limit should be, so we decided to set it at 40. Conveniently, 40 is just large enough that the next percent and, and the vapor fly 4% get in. Um, so there's no, there's no distinct point. What I would have done if it was me is I would have assessed the, the shoes that have been worn for the last three generations of marathon runners. You know, Let's go back 20 years and ask what the thickness of those shoes was. And if it was 21 millimeters, that's your limit. And by all means, let the rest of the field and the training shoes, let them build those up because there might be injury prevention and comfort issues. But for racing, if, if it's been good enough before now, then that's where you could have set that. So again, I just think they've missed an opportunity. I, I know why they, I think I know why they've missed it because this pushing back against Nike um, and making their shoes over the last two or three years illegal is a big step. It's too big a step. For many people to take, given the influence they have in the sport, and so they've they've taken they've taken this this sort of detour option. And, and Adam put it; he says it's to appease people, and I suspect that it is. And what it'll do is it'll it'll as we've said, it'll catalyze a, a reaction from other companies, and perhaps it'll become even more farcical. And we'll be talking about all the shoes, not just one brand. It would make life easier, by the way, if it was all the shoes and not just one brand. One of the things you mentioned before we came on was that. In, under the inter current rules, 
an interpretation could be made or an argument could be made by Nike that would allow the Alpha Fly to fly under the radar of these new regulations. Talk a little bit about what you mean by that. Yeah, I think that they'll challenge, you know, they'll say that the thickness of the shoe is allowed to be 40 millimeters. You're bound to see challenges saying, where do you measure that? Uh, is it the peak thickness? Um, because we could potentially create a shoe that uh, falls under that in certain parts and not in others. Uh, does the outsole count as part of that 40 meter, millimeter unit? Because, you know, all the talk up to this point has been midsole thickness. And so in the shoe architecture, the midsole is a very distinct part. And then it's, it, it's, it's layered on the outside with an outsole. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they build the outsole up and say that, no, no, you meant midsole. And so they'll try and they'll try and find ways to circumnavigate the language around that. And arguably this policy, maybe, maybe the IAAF or World Athletics will say that this is a first iteration and we reserve the right to change the wording, to tighten it up, fine. But um, again, I just keep coming back. And, and Kara said it, like, this was the law. The, the prototype thing was always there. And just because you've put a time frame on it now and said four months doesn't mean that you're actually going to enforce it. And, and even even there, so what does it mean for it to be commercially available to all? You know, if you sell, how many pairs need to be sold or sellable? And where does it have to be on sale in order for you to say that it's no longer a prototype? I, it's too many questions. Yeah, and what if it's sold out? You list it, you sell 100 pairs, and then it's quote-unquote sold out, but theoretically available to all. There's lots of questions there. Kara, I want to bring you in because I know you've been having an ongoing debate on this with the governing body, particularly USATF. You've exchanged emails a little bit this week with them. What what have you been trying to do behind the scenes to enact change, and how do you feel about that process? Um, frustrated. Uh, when I very first learned about the Vaporfly, I immediately reached out to the IAAF. They told me I should file a petition and I did. My coach did. My sponsors did. Um, we all got an email back saying, you know, this is this will be discussed next month uh, in April of 2017. And then we never heard anything. There was never any follow up. You know, this, the rules were slightly changed, but no one reached out to us. Um, and, and I'm like my mind is spinning right now because the way they came out saying, with the prototypes today, uh, I was in the right <laughs> three years ago when I sent in my my protest. So I'm, I'm actually like, I'm, my mind is just like burning right now. But um, because of other athletes expressing their concern to me that they won't be facing a level playing field at the Olympic trials, I finally reached out to USATF this week and expressed my concern and expressed my concern that in 2016 this happened and now it's four years later and with all the knowledge we have about it, it's about to happen again. And um, the initial response was that they, this is the first they were hearing of that. <laughs> buried their head in the sand so to speak as if there, there's been no public debate about this including in publications like the wall street journal yeah and I, I think that's what makes me so frustrated is that you know world athletics and usatf and any governing body is supposed to be protecting the athletes and to to say you didn't you don't know or you haven't heard about it you're you're, you're not doing your job and I, you know, I'm concerned that I have five different women from five different shoe companies that have all expressed their concern to me. Um, this was before today. Uh, and so I felt like I was fighting on their behalf so that when they line up in Atlanta, 
they know that it's as level a playing field as it can get. And to sort of be shrugged off as like, oh, I haven't really heard of that. Um, you know, we'll get into that. And, you know, then he said he was going to ask an athlete who was uh, part of IAAF or had some athlete ambassador, athlete ambassador who is a Nike athlete who has been shown on Instagram training in the Alpha Fly. <laughs> and so I just said, I, I, I like, I feel like I'm going crazy. This is a clear conflict of interest. And so for me, it's been a very frustrating process. And I feel like the athlete is like, if you're not on the right side of Nike, you are ignored. And that is how I feel. Well, and, and, and having seen that exchange, the idea that your voice in that exchange didn't matter, that they needed to hear from athletes that are going to compete at the trials is also a little bit messed up because to me, it then puts the onus on people that are hard at work training, trying to focus on getting a result, making an Olympic team, and yet they have to worry about fighting this fight on the side. That doesn't seem right, right? <laughs> no, totally. And I mean, that's why I've told these women, I will fight for you because it's so draining and I'm not training for anything. And so if I was trying to make an Olympic team, it's, it's, it's not fair to say to the athlete, well, you have to prove that you're at a disadvantage and you need to do this and you need to file this protest. The, the rules should be clear. They should be enforced and there should be no question about it. And I just feel like when I raise these concerns, I'm sort of just muzzled um, or made to feel like I'm crazy, even though I'm just following the rules. <laughs> well, and you've also gotten a lot of backlash from the public on your comments. I know particularly you got a lot of heat from the article that came out from Roger Pelkey in the Wall Street Journal talking about how you were, you're the first athlete to be robbed of a spot on the Olympic team because of mechanical doping and footwear. Adam, I know you tweeted a couple days after that article came out, having seen the backlash that Kara received. What's, what is it like watching that as somebody who obviously cares about Kara, but also some level cares about what's going on in the sport as well. Um, well, well, it's very frustrating. First of all, um, one thing I have to remind myself and even Kara at times is that <clears throat> a lot of the backlash that we get is, is you know, she gets is 99%, 98%, uh, trolls. People set out intentionally to, try to frustrate her, get her mad, get her fired up because, you know, you look at these people and she's like, oh, I just want to go and, you know, I want to shut them down. And, and then I get pissed off. I read it and I'm like, I'm about to shut them down. And then I go and then they have four followers, you know? And I'm like, it's not worth the time or the energy um, because they don't really represent, you know, the, the numbers of people that are in support of what's going on. And, um, so it is, it is very frustrating. It's exhausting. And it's just, I just don't understand the bottom line for me in this whole thing is the rules are there. The rules have been written. They've been in the books. They haven't been enforced. And I just don't understand why. Like, why have they just not done it? Just chosen not to do it. And I think that there is serious... I don't know, potentially legal issues that could take place against World Athletics, against Nike um, for this, against USATF, USA Track and Field. 
And I think people need to start coming together and putting their foot down and saying, this is bullshit. This is not going to happen. We're not going to accept this. And I'm just, you know, I'm waiting for that day and I'm ready to be a part of that. We definitely need more power in this sport for the athletes. There was a quote at the bottom of the World Athletics release from President Sebastian Coe. And he says, it is not our job to regulate the entire sports shoe market, but it is our duty to preserve the integrity of elite competition by ensuring that the shoes worn by elite athletes in competition do not offer any unfair assistance or advantage. As we enter the Olympic year, we don't believe we can rule out shoes that have been generally available for a considerable period of time, but we can draw a line by prohibiting the use of shoes that go further than what is currently on the market while we investigate further. I believe these new rules strike the right balance by offering certainty to athletes and manufacturers as they prepare for the Tokyo 2020 Olympic Games while addressing the concerns that have been raised about shoe technology. If further evidence becomes available that indicates we need to tighten these rules, we reserve the right to do that to protect our sport. Adam, what do you think about Sebastian Coe's quote there? Well, I think it goes to show that he is a complete pawn in this entire game. I think he's absolutely... I think that he is absolutely um, on one side and one side only. Um, it is it's atrocious to me <laughs> that it's it, it's like this has been. He, he's saying that this shoe has been available to the open market for X amount of time, and there's nothing we can do about it. This shoe shows it has been proven time and time again to show such a massive performance enhancement to every person that wears it that you're just accepting it. You're saying that that's okay. And that's not okay. It's not okay. And as painful as it might be, the right thing to do is to strike all of the records and the times that people have run in those shoes and start from scratch. Implement and do your rules. Do your damn job. It's as simple as that. Sebastian Coe, of course, was a Nike ambassador even after he became president of world athletics, but was eventually eventually stepped down from that role because of public pressure of a conflict of interest. Ross, bringing you back in, what do you think about the statement from Sebastian Coe and, and world athletics role in all of this? Before you, before you pointed out that he wasn't ambassador, I was going to jokingly ask you if that was the same Sebastian Coe who had a building named after him on the Nike campus and whether that might just be incidents or not. And I, to be fair, to be fair, I don't, I don't necessarily know whether many people in this debate, because Co, by the way, is not the only one who's potentially compromised. I'll get to that in a moment. But a lot of the time people have these conflicts of interest and they're not even consciously aware of them. They're not necessarily in the pocket of the organization or the company that they're defending, but they have these insidious relationships and links. And I think in this instance, it's such a clear one that it has to be brought up in the context of evaluating his statement. And then more to the point or more broadly, why has, you know, World Athletics convened this, this group to look at this issue last year, must have been in around September, October, I think. To this day, I don't know who's on that panel. Now, how can you... How can you claim any level of transparency or integrity when you can't even declare 
who the people are who make that decision. And today, and that, I mean, you've seen that press release. Do they tell you who made the decision? Nope. So nope. How, is there, how is there accountability? That came up, Adam mentioned it earlier. How is there accountability? How is there transparency? How is there integrity when you can't even put names to what you are actually deciding? It, and especially on this issue where there are so many potential conflicts and links, and we know of COAs because it's, <laughs> it's such a high-profile, easy target to, to swing at, but there may be many others, and none of those are known. I mean, so Kara's alluded to, to athletes who sit on this panel and they're sponsored by, do you think they're going to go against that, that come? Of course not. So ultimately for me, the, the, the governance is the, is the root cause problem here. And one can take swings at Nike and so on, but if there's a vacuum of regulation, then a company will fill that by doing something. And I, I, I think you can go back to 2007 because at that time, the IAAF had a policy that said, that no device may be worn which gives its wearer an advantage over other athletes. Now, that is horrendously vague and not fit for purpose at all. But then Oscar Pistorius challenged them in his court case in 2007-8, and he won it. And I remember reading in that decision from the Court of Arbitration what was a pretty strong rebuke of Nike for putting that clause in there. They basically said that Nike had only put it in there for Pistorius. And so they took it out. And so from that moment forward, there was no regulation at all. Now, listeners can think about this and go away, and maybe you tweet me and tell me the answer to this. Name one sport that doesn't regulate its equipment at all. One. So from one extreme, you have Formula One and NASCAR, where it's measured to the millimeter. And then in the other, you think like boxing. The gloves are regulated. I watch tennis in Australia. The tennis ball is regulated. The size of the racket is regulated. Every sport has a regulation. But athletics from 2008 to 2016 had nothing. Now, now the role of sports governance is to protect athletes against foreseeable changes. Now, that's not perfect. I get it because they're not omnipotent and they don't have a perfect crystal ball. But this one was predictable. And then when it came to them in 2016-17 and the likes of Caro were saying, but hang on, what's going on here with this new shoe? They did nothing. They just sat on their hands. And eventually they were forced into a corner where they had to react. And they've reacted by trying to find some appeasement method, which is what we've seen now. And I think it's just a horrendous failure of governance that goes back more than a decade. And it's just been compounded by every single inaction and weak action that they've taken. And related to that, there is no, there's no attempt to make amends for the past at this point. So that's also frustrating. The other thing that I think is a little bit confusing about Coe's quote is that he specifically calls out elite competition and elite athletes. And yet in the press release above related to the new regulations, there's no mention of elite. And so this also brings up an open question about, are we talking about regulating elite athlete footwear only, or are we talking about the entire market? Does this mean that Nike can now sell the alpha fly to the general population who can go get their Boston qualifiers in that shoe? or not. Do you have any thoughts on that part of the of the question? I think they might run into some issues around identifying and defining elite athletes because that's not the straight, most straightforward definition. So as it applies to age group category athletes, as it applies to people who are, you know, let's call it that tear down from your, your sort of marquee big name who gets invited to run big city marathons, I think it becomes a little bit gray. So there's that. 
I don't think that's an insurmountable issue because you could eventually just say any athlete who's eligible for prize money or a prize or an age group uh, category prize is is um, subject to the regulations. Now, I know that you guys, in, in terms of Boston and the qualifiers and so on, you have a system where performances, even in your amateur runners, actually matters. That's not common around the world. So I would have thought that world athletics would say that every race can run its um, run its own policies and so forth. But now what is what are Boston going to do? Are they going to have to screen the shoes that you ran in your qualifier? So I think the consequence of that is that they will have to lower their qualifying standards, uh, well, raise the standard by lowering the time required. And, of course, that then puts every runner in the world in a situation where you have to either get the shoe or, or get out of the program. <laughs> So the problem is, and this goes back to 2017, is that unregulated technology has allowed companies to divide the running world into the haves and the have-nots. And I don't see this policy changing that unless every single shoe company can catch up. And that, of course, depends on patent law, finances, uh, finances, commercial arrangements that they may have. If they catch up, then fine. Everyone's got a degree of parity but if they can't then this have have not thing exists and persists and affects races like boston so it's an unsolvable problem within the current regulation in my opinion agree with that one note kara found while you were talking was a note to editors in the re- in, in the world athletics release that says the assistant review group Allegedly, the group that made this decision was chaired by Brian Rowe, member of the Formal Technical Committee, and its members were Aziz Dauda, Yukio Seki, Julio Roberto Gomez, Susan Ahern, Pedro Bronco, Michael Freider, and Inyaki Gomez. I don't personally know any of those names. I don't know if any of those names ring a bell for you, but at least there was a little bit of info on who was on this review group. Yeah, some of them I, I do know. Um Gomez is a race walker sponsored by Nike. Again, that doesn't necessarily imply that he's definitely conflicted, but I think it's worth worth acknowledging and mentioning. I just, I don't, I didn't recognize any of the other names of the, uh, the technical folk and so on. I just, let's just say that if it's me running this decision, I would have done it a lot differently going all the way back to September and I would have been quite a lot more transparent about who those people are and allowing them to, to be, uh, what's the word? Audited a little bit better than perhaps has been the case. But so at least at least the names are out there now. So what I said earlier, at least we can draw a line after that release today. Kara, do you have? Is there any consolation for you in the fact that it seems at least that the Alpha Fly will not impact the trials? Yeah, I mean, I feel like pathetic saying, yeah, at least the Alpha Fly is not getting in. Um, you know, again, this is just such a complicated issue for me, but. I just want a level playing field. I don't want someone to not go to the Olympic Games because they didn't have the right footwear that's patented and protected and unavailable to them. And I don't want this to destroy sponsorships from other companies because if other companies can't close that gap due to financial reasons or patent protections, what, why would they sponsor athletes and what athlete would want to go to another company? And all of a sudden, one company has a monopoly, even bigger than they already do. So that was I don't know what that had to do with your question. Yes, I'm relieved the Alpha Fly isn't going to be <laughs> in the Olympic trials. But as Ross said, I don't know how this is going to be regulated. Maybe they're going to argue because it says Seoul. It doesn't say Alt Seoul or, you know, it, it could 
they can probably argue a lot of things um, because it's just not clear enough. This is true. So as as we kind of wrap up this discussion, one and kind of try to tie a, a somewhat bow on this as we're interpreting this stuff in real time. What's next, Ross? For you, what do you want to see next happen in the immediate future about these reg- related to these new regulations? Well, if if I assume for a second that this regulation is here to stay with one or two minor modifications, what needs to happen next is that other companies need to catch up. They need to do that really quickly. They need to throw everything they can behind it and find ways to imitate or match what the performance changes are without infringing those patents. Whether Nike plays that really aggressively remains to be seen. I would be surprised if they didn't. I mean, otherwise, why have the patent in the first place? So it'll be interesting to see what those companies do. And and as a a scientist, I'm pretty interested to see how this plays out. I think that's the best case scenario because at least then we've got some within race parity and we don't have to have a situation where the difference between two pairs of shoes is is bigger than the difference between athletes because then you've got no integrity in the result. So that would be the best case. Part of me <laughs> part of me almost wishes that the thing gets so out of control that by the end of 2020 we're seeing people run 1 hour 57, 1 hour 58 marathons in Berlin and we have no trust at all in the result. Complete unknowns are massive responders to these shoes and it just – it just blows the, the integrity of the whole thing out of the water because then at least it would make people sit up and take notice. Because I think at the moment the the, the difference is profound, but it's still subtle enough that a lot, of, a lot of people can say, oh, there's nothing to see here, no problem. So I, <laughs> so I don't know whether that's um, – I mean, I don't want to see that, but part of me does if that makes sense. And then and then if, if that were to happen, I would love for them to revisit this regulation. Uh, They've spoken about doing research. I don't think that'll come to anything. It very rarely does, and it's always a nice way to stall an issue. You say we're looking into it, and then you don't. Um, And, yeah, I I just – what they had today was an opportunity to put back confidence in race results, and what they've done is they've created even more reason to be skeptical and uncertain. So there's uncertainty now. Before – there was no integrity, but at least there was certainty. Now there's no no certainty, and there may be no integrity. So I think I think we might end up saying that we're worse off now than we were, notwithstanding the fact that at least the alpha flies and similar versions won't be able, won't be around. All good thoughts there, Ross. Giving you Kara the final word. Governance is a big issue. Getting the athlete's voice involved in governance, not only at the world athletics level, but at the USATF level here in the US is critical to making the future a better thing. What do we what do you think needs to be done to elevate that voice so there's more impact from the athlete? I think they need to listen to the athletes and they we can't be ignored. Um I just kind of feel sad. I kind of feel like our sport like this is the end of the purity of it as we knew it. I mean, it's already been that way for years. I I agree with Ross. The lack of transparency is maddening. And, you know, if I was the IAAF, what I would really like from them is to address the last four years and to admit that they messed up. They did not protect the athletes. They did not protect the integrity of the sport because just sort of ignoring the history of the last four years and moving forward and going, oh, well, we're going to regulate now doesn't give trust to anybody. Then 
I no athlete trusts them. That doesn't make any sense. And so I just want to see them acknowledge the past. And I want to see athletes have a channel to go to. But like I said, we've had athletes in the U.S. tweet at our governing body about this issue and nothing happened. I want people to pay attention. When an athlete speaks up, they're taking time away from their focus, their concentration, their training. Take them seriously. They want a level playing field. They want to know, I just wasn't good enough. They don't want to have to lay in bed four years later wondering if it was equipment that kept them off a team. All good words. Thank you, Kara. Thank you, Ross. Thank you, Adam, for joining this discussion. There you have it. Our fresh and live interpretation of the new world athletic rules on footwear. We will see where it goes from here. And we'll talk to you guys soon.